Yesterday we saw the words of the Havot Levavot, who after discussing the different challenges that the Yetzirah presents all of us, he said that the takeaway is that a person should not involve himself in any war, instead focus on the war with the Yetzirah. Those are his words. He didn't just say we should focus on the, work, on the war with the Yetzirah. He says don't focus on any other war. So yesterday we were trying to understand what that means. What war is he referring to that we shouldn't focus on? So we learned yesterday, it seems, that humans were created with a desire to win. And therefore we must choose the war that we're going to fight and win. That's why the Havod Lavod is saying, if you want to fight the war with the Yetzirah, you have to forget about the other war. Because if you're going to fight the other war, you're not going to be able to fight the Yetzirah. The creator of the world gave you an inner desire to fight. We have a desire not only to fight, but to win. Hashem gave that to you. But He gave you a number of battles. And if you use your energy to fight the wrong battles, you're not going to be able to fight your Yetzirah. Which is the reason why He gave you that energy. The reason why we have a desire to win, like we explained yesterday, that humans by nature have a desire to win. It's not something they had to learn in school. That human inner desire to win was put in us, says the Havot Levavot, for one reason. Because we have a milhama, we have a war constantly with our Yetzirah. And therefore, the desire to win is meant to fight our enemy and be victorious. But the Havod Levavod is alluding to the fact that if we're going to be busy with another war in our life, so then we're not going to be able to use the, the, this, this power that God gave us for the right war. And we said yesterday that what, what would that war be? So we explained yesterday that the war that humans automatically choose before opening up Havot Levavot or they have wisdom is the war of competition where they compete with other people. They assume this is what's going to bring them success in life when they are above others in any area or as many areas as they can be. Make no mistake, if you heard yesterday's class, to think that a person should not want to be successful financially 
or that a person should not want to be successful in any area in life. Have a nice home. You could drive a nice car. That's not what we're talking about. But the motivation should never be to be above others. There's nothing wrong with a person who has money and they enjoy it and give it out to their family and to those who need it. Nothing wrong with that. You can have a desire for that. Ambition for that. But the ambition should never be that I should have more than. The more than part is fighting a war. It's basically fighting with all of humanity to be above them in any area that you're capable. Maybe you can't fight all of humanity, so at least you fight with your community. You at least can fight with your neighbor. You at least can fight with your brother. If you use your winning desire for anything else but the Yesara, you're in the wrong place. And you're going to be in a place of misery. People who live their life with this competitiveness, with others around them, are usually people who have an ego. We all have an ego. But with these people, the ego is on display. It's a person whose eyes are always in the social mirror. It's always measuring where he is vis-a-vis -vis others. Am I popular enough? Am I rich enough? Am I good-looking enough? And all the different comparisons that you can imagine that's important to the person, that he's constantly looking around to see where they are. Obviously, that person can never be happy because they can never focus on themselves for who they really are. At the end of the day, you have to be happy with yourself. But you can't be happy with yourself when your whole life is all about comparing yourself to other people. A person who lives with that competitive edge is out in life to impress his audience, even friends that they have. It's not an investment, an investment of friendship and love. It's not a haver where we come, havruta. We, we care for each other, we're here for each other. I look out for you, you look out for me. We have goals that we do together. It's sincere. A person who's competitive has a hard time having any real friends because his friendships are just a means to find approval. He just needs you because he needs somebody to say, these are all my friends. I have so many people that like me. Usually his friendships are full of control and manipulation. It's all over the place. You manipulate your friendships through different means that humans are very, very smart in doing. And how to develop your social scene. 
Maybe you make them need you for something. Maybe you control their salary. Maybe you control where they sit in shul. It doesn't make a difference. Somehow or another, you use your power to manipulate people to need you so that they have no choice but to be your friend. So it's not a real friendship. At the end of the day, a person who's looking to compete in life is a lonely person. He has no real friends. His whole life is made up of artificial thoughts of him being above or below or the same. That's how he spends his whole life. So everybody is a pawn in this lifestyle. Everybody is just, can this guy get me to become greater or not? Is this a vehicle or not a vehicle? If I find a vehicle, I grab it. I use it. There's no sincerity. There's no love. There's no real care. It's all a game. And the purpose of the game is that I should end up on top of everybody. It's not so easy to end up on top of everybody. So I'm going to start one by one. I'm on top of at least these 10 people. Now I'll make it 20 next week. I'll make a few extra dollars. I'll be on top of 1,000 people. And I start climbing the ladder so I can become on top. It's all ridiculous illusions that don't even exist. It's an illusion that's built on an island in the guy's brain. That's not reality. So his whole life is not reality. There's nothing real about his life. His own marriage can suffer. He could start comparing himself to his wife or his wife to others and vice versa. A person <clears throat> who has this competitive attitude towards others will find anybody else's success as directly damaging to himself if the area that he's competing is money. Someone who has more money or made more money will be a terrible infliction on that person. If it's an area of recognition, if it's an area of marriage, if it's an area of children, whatever it might be, that means his whole life, every time he hears people that are relevant in his competition, that they succeeded in something, it's another arrow in his heart. And he lives in his house in misery only because he's hearing the news of what that guy did and where that guy went and what that guy acquired and what that guy did. Meanwhile, his life is the same. But every time he hears of another success story that isn't his, it becomes a source of pain. Baruch Hashem, we get invited to many smahot. And Baruch Hashem, there are so many things that are happening good in people's lives. When you're a competitively minded person, everybody's success becomes your terrible, terrible pain. It means you're going to spend a lot of your life very hurt and very upset. Of course, a person of this attitude can never be grateful, can never appreciate what they have, because they never look at what they have. Because it's not about what they have. Their whole life is about something that's above. So... Obviously, that person can get up in the morning and say, Oh, thank you, Hashem. You opened my eyes. What eyes? The guy is thinking about where he's going to be able to build a bigger yacht. He's able to go to a bigger trip. His mind is somewhere else. 
So that kind of person can never appreciate what they have. Can't appreciate the simple things in life. And even the not so simple. This kind of person tends to be filled with excuses. Always loving to blame others. Because when you're trying to be above others, you obviously cannot look bad in any way or form. So it's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else that made the problem. You can never own up to your mistake. You can never say, oh, I made the wrong judgment call on that. You can't do it. Because that would lower you in the eyes of others. If your whole game is to be above others, how could you take responsibility? So anytime there's a problem, as much as you can, you blame others. Your whole life is blaming all your wife, all your friends, or society, or God, or who knows what. A person who can't take responsibility and make it, say, I made a mistake, is a person that can never succeed in life. A person who has this competitive war in his life constantly is usually arrogant. Usually they're a person who's constantly boasting about their accomplishments. They don't necessarily say it with their words, but they boast in other ways. They have a need to show others. Every party to them is another avenue to show their real value. They need to make a party that's better than the next guy. No, not a nice party. Not a respectable party. I have to make it better. I have to have people talk louder about my party. People should know that I'm not like any of them. Again, where they can afford it, they will do it. Where they can manage it, they will do it. Not always can they. But that's the world they're living in. Constantly trying to outdo makes you or is a definition perhaps of an arrogant person who's self-centered, whose whole life is about himself being above the rest. Unfortunately, what I'm saying is not any hidush to anybody. Something very obvious to everybody. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy and successful to have this competition. People can be just as bad if they have not a dollar to their name. Could be they don't have the ability to show their competitiveness, but it's sitting in their heart day and night. And it's only a matter of time or they hope it's a matter of being able to rise in the ranks. They may be in the lower end trying to rise above that lower end. This is not only about people who have a lot of money and a lot of success financially. It's everybody has that same desire to win, to compete and win. And wherever they can compete, that, that's where they compete. There are people who compete in the big leagues. There are people who compete in the minor leagues. There are the minor, minor leagues. There is minor before that. There's all many leagues in life. And everybody's looking to compete wherever they are. We just see sometimes the ones in the major leagues more often. So it seems when you hear a class like this that we're talking about the major leaguers. So all, that's why everybody's thinking, yeah, I know guys like that. 
I know people like that. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I know. But you have to know the only reason why you're thinking about that is because they're the ones that are maybe in the, in the limelight. But this problem is essentially a problem for every person. We all have the same problem. We're just competing on different levels. <clears throat> a person of such an attitude is usually a person who is very easily angered. His tolerance level of others is very, very minute. You could put him in rage within moments because he's so sensitive to his honor and his kavod that even a slight deviation, even if the person looks in a way that looks like they're offending him, is a reason to blow up, is a reason to make comments, is a reason to start putting down. Rage is something you'll see on a person who is constantly looking to be above others. You will see this person constantly looking to put other people down. Normal. You could sit down with a person on your balcony and people walk by and your whole day is spent on, oh my gosh, look what they're wearing. And talk about people. Of course, negatively. When you talk negatively about people, it's usually for one reason. Because you're trying to be above them. Instead of saying, I look nicer than them, you say they don't look nice. Instead of saying, I'm smarter than them, I say they're not so smart. Instead of saying, I'm very successful, you say they're failures. Because as we get older, we get smarter. We know it's not so nice to say, I'm so successful, I'm so high, I'm so sharp, I'm so this. You have to be really sick to actually talk like that. And some people are, by the way. But if you're not so sick yet, so you can't say that. So you spend your life just negating people. Sometimes you negate them only in your mind, which is not much better. Sometimes you don't have to actually talk about it. That's how you walk your life. You see people in that section, you don't even notice them. Why did you notice that? Because they're not relevant. Those people are so below my standard. I wouldn't be caught dead with them. Not in my battlefield. Yeah, they're way below. I don't even get People need to be even buried around the right people. It's sickening. You don't have to actually talk about somebody down to have this, these feelings. It's actually more, it's more the way we think about people. We measure importance of people compared to where we are. There's a lot of signs of a person who's in competition. I just gave you a couple of them, but there are many, many more. Even their own children, they're willing to sacrifice so they can have a social edge. I once had a conversation with somebody. This is a real conversation, but I don't believe this conversation was unique 
I believe it is the thoughts of many people. Maybe it's subconsciously their mind, but it was clear. I spoke to the person about his children. His children were not really in the right place, let's call, let's call them. They were not in the right group of people. The people they were spending time with was from a very fast lane type of people. That's where their kids were. And the father, really, I would consider him someone who knows better. Some people don't know better, so it's okay. It is what it is. That's who they are. So I spoke to him. I said, I don't understand you. So don't you realize what this lane is all about? Don't you know that there's a very good chance that your son, your sons, will be doing drugs one day? Don't you realize that your daughters will not be in places that you'd be very proud of? And don't you realize that's the lane you're putting them in? Don't you understand the risk? So I don't want to go through the whole conversation because it's not really that important. But the bottom, the net takeaway from my conversation with him is that it's worth the risk for me to be with these people that my son may one day be a drug addict is worth it. And if you think this is like, oh wow, what a crazy guy, I'm telling you, this is not by the tens, not by the hundreds, it's by the thousands of parents. Where when they make a choice for their children where they should be, it has to do with their social status has to do where they're looking to compete themselves. It has nothing to do with their children's future. It has nothing to do with their children's success. Again, there are those who don't know better. They're lost completely. But there are plenty of people that know better. They could write the book, but they are not able to make any good choices for their children. They would rather the risk, it's a crazy thing. Think about that. They would rather the risk their children should be total disasters that they agree to just so they will, they will be able to fit with their friends. When I pick up my children from his friend's house, I'd rather it be from this house than that house. That's it. That's what it's all about. But what about your children's future? What about, you know, their health, their safety, their accomplishment, their happiness? It's not about that. Of course, father and mother will never admit to that. Of course, it's not. that. No, it's not like that. It is like that. It's exactly like that. It has everything to do with you and your competitive lifestyle. You're not deciding for your children. You're not deciding for their future. When you decide for your children, you can make a choice for them. Where you want them to be, where you want them to learn, where you want them to hang out, where you want your friends to be. That's fine. But very rarely do people make that choice. Rarely. Because they're fighting competitive. And children, believe it or not, are just another pawn in their lifestyle. Just another way of expressing why I might be 
better than you, or at least I fit in with you. Because if I would choose my children to have that kind of atmosphere or that kind of friend, I would be a loser in your camp. And I would never want to be a loser because, you know, my whole life is to be a winner. This is happening day in and day out. This is not something I'm talking about from the 1500s. It happens every day with caring, loving parents that make the wrong choices for their children in so many areas. I'm talking about many, many different kinds of decisions. I'm talking about schools. I'm talking about camps. I'm talking about vacations. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about so many things. Colleges, forget about it. You know better that that's not good for your children. Come on. You're not so ignorant. What are you doing? I know, but you know, the people on my status, that's what they do. You want me to be from the outsiders? So let my children go. Hopefully nothing will happen. And they'll quote you the one guy who went to uh, Lincoln High School and continued to Binghamton and became the rabbi. It's ridiculous. That's where you're putting your kids. Again, you don't know better. I'm not talking about them. The guy doesn't know better. I'm not talking about him. He still needs a new brainwash to clean his brain to understand what's important. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about plenty of people that know better, understand everything, and have zero, zero control of themselves and use their own children. That's how powerful this is. You're using your own children as pawns in your life to be able to rise in your social advancement. It's the modern day molech. What is the molech? Molech was something that we can't imagine today. They used to be, maybe they still have it, I don't know, but they used to be what's called idol worship that involved sacrificing your own children. Because the whole idea of a sacrifice is that you take something valuable and you sacrifice it to your idol. So what's more valuable than your own children? So someone who was very religious in those days, if you're really religious and you're really, you know, all the way, you go ahead and you sacrifice your children to the molech. Molech was a certain idol that liked children. So when you go and you sacrifice, imagine you burn your child to the molech. So me and you might say, what well, is ridiculous. But you know what? In an atmosphere where everybody's doing the same thing, it just feels that that's what needs to be done. How can I not? If my neighbor did that, if my cousin did that, if that very important guy is doing that, of course I have to do it. It's the price I have to pay so I can be able to be upgrading myself. So he's saying, this is modern day, Molech. We're burn, you're burning kids day left and right, putting them in the wrong places because you have to fit and you have to be above. Let me tell you something. There's a Midrash on Mishleh. 
Shlomo HaMelech says in Mishle, Tov Ayn, Tov Ayn means person with a good eye. In other words, a person who's happy for others. Good eye means you see something good. It's good for you too. Most people, when they see good, they get upset. Why not me? Even while they're saying nice things, but they don't feel that way. Tov Ayn is a person who sees good. And actually says, wow, beautiful. So happy for the guy. Tov Ayn says Shalom Melech, a person of such quality that is able to enjoy other people's success. Certainly a person who's competitive cannot do that. It's obvious, as we mentioned. But if you're able to enjoy other people's success, who ye vorach? This is a person who? Him, only him. Yevorach. Yevorach means he will live a life of bracha. Tov ayin. You could be happy for other people's success. Yevorach. You'll see a blessing. Your life will be a blessing. Comes the Midrash and gives two examples in the Torah of a tov ayin. Two examples, both of them are involving Moshe Rabbeinu. Says the Midrash, Amar Bar Hanina. Right? Ze Moshe. You know the Tov Ain? Moshe. What did Moshe do? Interesting Midrash. It needs, obviously, I think, more work, but I'm going to take it for face value now. I don't have time to go into it. Says the Midrash, this is Moshe. What, what, what did Moshe do that showed he was a Tov Ain? So this interesting Midrash. But Tehila, in the beginning, Lo Nitena Torah, Ela Le Moshe. I don't know if you knew this, but the Midrash is telling you something maybe you didn't realize. Well, that's how we're here to learn. It says the Midrash, originally, when Hashem gave the Torah, it was only to Moshe. Wul and his children. Shene'emar, and the Midrash brings proof. It says, Ketov Lecha. Write it for you. Pesol Lecha. Make the tablets for you. What's, what's for you? It's yours. Hashem, I'm giving you the Torah. I know if this is before the Egel, after the Egel, it's not the point. Then. Bottom line, the Torah that we have was given to Moshe Rabbeinu to have it for him and his children. Nahag ba Moshe ayin tova ba Moshe Rabbeinu even though he could have kept it for himself. But he shared it with his eye in Tobah, with his good eye. He shared it untana Israel. He gave it to the Jewish people. Shene'emar Torah Tzivalanu Moshe. Which means we have to give credit to Moshe. Of course Hashem gave, but Hashem gave it to him. 
You know why we have it? Because Moshe gave it to us. Moshe gave us his Torah. And therefore, when the Pasuk says, Tov ayin hu a person with a good eye is blessed to us, is Moshe Rabbeinu. Unbelievable. Another Midrash, Dabar Aher. Tov ayin hu ze Moshe. Another example of Moshe. Hashem told <clears throat> Moshe Rabbeinu, When it came to giving over Moshe's spirit to Yehoshua, the next leader, Hashem told him, the way you're going to do it, you got to give uh, Yehoshua some koah, some energy from you. So the way to do it is you take your hand, take your hand, put it on him, and that's how you'll have uh, be able to give him over the koah that he needs to be a great leader like you. Nice. What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Vayismoch et yadav alav. Moshe Rabbeinu take both, takes both hands and puts it on Yeshua. Says the Midrash, Mashal, let me tell you what the Mashal, parable, lemelech to a king, he told one of his employees in his home or one of his family members, Give that guy, Reuven, give him, give him a pound of wheat. He went, He gave him two pounds. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, put your hand on him. Again, I don't know what this means, but it's not for today. Obviously, it means something. He didn't take one hand, took two hands. Says the Midrash. Tov ayin hu There's a man who wants to see other people succeed. How did Moshe prove his tov ayin? Well, he not only was happy for someone to succeed, he actually did something to make them succeed. Could you imagine Moshe Rabbeinu had a monopoly on Torah. The Torah is the greatest gift. Talk about money. What money? Torah is the greatest thing that Hashem created in this world. The blueprint of this world. And Moshe Rabbeinu had complete monopoly on that Torah. You know how valuable that is? And by the way, he could teach it to others for good money. He could open up a yeshiva. Only you could go to him. Nobody else can teach. It's his Torah. Today they have somebody who has a copyright. It's his item. You can't go sell the same item with the same brand name. He had the Torah brand. So if you want to get it, you got to come to me. He could have a monopoly in all yeshivas. He could taught, charge tuition whatever he wants. There's no, there's no limit. It's his Torah. Doesn't have to give it to anybody. They want to learn, come to me. He had a monopoly on the most precious commodity that there is in this creation. What did he do? He gave it to others. He shared it with Am Yisrael. He gave his koah of leadership. Moshe is the greatest leader in our history. 
He gave everything that he had to Yehoshua. Meaning, he wished Yehoshua would succeed like him. I saw once they asked on this Midrash, you know, how do you see over here that he was a Tov Ayn? At the end of the day, in both of these scenarios, Moshe Rabbeinu lost nothing. You know, if in the Mashal, let's say, I'm supposed to give $100, I gave $200. So now I, get, I lost another 100 So I had to help you. So I lost something. But in this case, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't lose anything. When he gave the Torah to everybody else, he still had the Torah. When he put his hand on Yoshua, he didn't lose his greatness. So why is that so great? It's one thing when you lose and give somebody tov ayin. But he didn't lose. You just gave him what you had. Says Pavarsky, Alava Shalom, who's a Rosh Hashiva and Panavi, he said, unbelievable. He says, you see from here, that the competitive person doesn't want somebody else to have, even if he has it. I don't want you to be like me. Which means, for example, a guy, uh, a guy makes money. He has a way to get his friend to make money too. He's happy. A good guy, he's happy for that. But just not as much as I am. I'd like you to make money, but a little less than me. Hatan finds a beautiful kala, great situation. He's happy for his friend also to find, but not exactly the same. Because, because even being exactly this, not only if I'm under you is a problem, not only if I lost to you is it a problem, in the world of competition, even being equal is a problem. Can you imagine the sickness? One more time. You, you see from this Midrash that in the world of competition, it's not only when I lose to you and you're above me that it bothers me. Even when you're equal to me, it bothers me. I want to be above you. I don't want the same as you. I don't want you to have the same as me. I don't mind if you have to, but not like me. You can have a great business, but not like me. I don't mind you buying a few buildings, but not as many as I have. So the competitiveness is not only when I'm under you, it's even when I'm equal to you. I need to be above you. Always. I need to have an edge above you. So you see from Moshe Rabbeinu, it's true he didn't lose, but he equated others to himself. He was willing to say, fine, I want to give you what I have. We'll be equal. I'll give you a shua, what I have. I'll be equal with you. Even that's already a huge step in the world of competition. To want people to be like you. This is a tremendous, tremendous midrash that opens our eyes to the nature of this competition and how we already described at the beginning of this class 
how it's a road to no good. It's a road to destruction. And everybody is enrolled in the army. They have to call you to come to the army. They have to draft you to come to the army. But this, this war is automatic when you're born. When you're born, you're already in the army. And you're already trying to be above anybody within your circles. Starts with your brother and sister. See little kids, two-year-old and a one-year-old. And vi they're vying for who's going to be above. whole story of Yosef and his brothers was a story of people who had a hard time of seeing their brother above. It starts from very little. Continues in kindergarten. You'll see, watch a kindergarten class from the far. You'll start seeing how each one is looking to figure out how he's going to be the guy. Different ways. And it continues throughout life. You don't have to enlist in this war. It's automatically when you're born, you're in it already. But you need, you need kind of never. There you go. Thank you, Sam. Kind of never. That was the whole kind of, they're fighting. Who's better? I got accepted. You didn't get accepted. Cain didn't want Evel to know he's bringing the Korban. So he brought it before he even told him. He didn't want to bring it. Same. Well, he thought of a Korban. He thought of a great idea. Tell your brother. Let him bring you what you do. You're buying a good investment. It's not going to hurt you. Tell your friend. What's the problem? Let him invest also. Let him make money too. No, no. How many times you ever a good investment? Not tell anybody. Why not? Good. It's a stock. What's the, what's the problem? Anybody could buy it. Why don't you want to tell anybody? What is the problem? Even your own brother you don't want to tell. Because I tell my brother, then I'll be equal, we'll be the same. I'll make and he'll make. No, no. I want to make what nobody makes. That's the way this world runs. And everybody is enlisted in this world. Until you come to a class like this, until you open your mind and you realize you're on a downhill slope, you're going nowhere in life. It's doing ev everything in life that's negative is probably coming from this. It's coming. This is the, the root of so many problems in your life. Why? Because you're trying to compete with people around you and you're not paying attention to yourself, to your future, and to your own family. This is the war that we need to stay away from and instead fight the war of the Yetzirah. Have a wonderful day.